Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, the famous name from MLB The Show Career Mode started a group of fantasy leagues years ago. And today, we gather with longtime Joe Random, Stephen Thayer, and Matt Ramirez to talk all things sports with other Joe Randoms. We hope you enjoy. And remember, just keep swishing and don't strike out. All right, welcome everybody to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, episode 37. Stephen Thayer, Matt Ramirez, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, give us a subscribe, a five-star, whatever you got to do to support us. <laughs> we may or may not have a guest on today, we'll be awaiting that, but uh, Matt and I coming in after the Sunday night football game, so we, we, had, to, we had to talk, we had to talk, uh, how are things going, Matt? Things are good. Uh, catching a catching a little hour long break in the workday here to make this happen. Too much excitement to to hold back from uh, from that Sunday night game as well as the rest of the NFL landscape. No, for how sure. was uh, how was uh, Hawaii? Hawaii was a blast. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun hikes and got some relaxing time. And you know, I'm, I'm happy to 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 have had it. I'm happy to be back as well. You know, kind of get some some time to decompress at home and. And take care of some off-season things, so it's a it's a good thing. Uh, so, there you go. Let, yeah, let, let's jump right in. Uh, I have a few questions. Uh, there's a there's a few things to break down. Uh, I want to lead with this: the Justin Jefferson catch, <laughs> uh, because I, I mean there there were a lot of stories over the NFL weekend, but. I think the big debate is which catch was better, Justin Jefferson, OBJ, or any other catch that you can recall in recent memory. And I actually had to look back at a few to really do my analyst. I think it was the Skip Bayless in the group text this morning that made me really think about it. And I was like, okay, which catch was really the best? So I'll send it your way. Okay, so for me, I have it ranked at number three. I think it's one one of the best catches of all time. Uh, especially considering down and distance, time of game, importance of game. Uh, I mean, shoot, that the athleticism displayed to go up there and even like touch the ball, let alone pull it down, was incredible. Uh, borderline pass interference holding going on during the play. Sure. Uh, kind of an and one situation a la Odell. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was spectacular. I, I can't say enough about it. Um, the two in front of it for me all time is number one, the Odell catch. Um, and then number two, David Tyree in the Super yeah. Bowl. Um, the only reason why I have, have it a little bit below those two for the David Tyree catch, it's just because of the circumstance as well. Um, you talk about, or I, I talked about the significance of the time and uh, time is left in the game and the importance of the game with, uh, the Jefferson catch, and then you just tenfold that with the David Tyree catch. Um, and then Odell, I think, um, Odell, I think the difference between the Odell catch and the Jefferson catch, I mean, it's a 9.9 versus a 10 in my, in my sure. book, sure. was the fact that Odell had, I, I guess the Justin Jefferson catch, it seemed like the ball almost caught him a little bit as he was going to the ground. Like he wasn't the one that was fully controlling it, unlike Odell with the three fingers and just yanked it in. 
Um, the contact with the ground really helped Jefferson secure it, um, as well as kind of the position he had it on his body. Um, so that's that's where I take it. I, it's really close. It was when I saw it live, I my jaw dropped. It was incredible, unbelievable. Uh, I think you bring up some good points there, and. I, I do happen to agree that I think the OBJ catch was a better catch by itself uh, just because Jefferson was being helped by the defender, right? It was the, it was the two hands kind of keeping Jefferson's hand on the ball. Um, but to have the strength of just one hand going down like that to haul it in and pull it away from the defender was pretty impressive. Um, one thing I want to point out, and we've talked about this maybe briefly, is that these gloves that the guys are wearing are are pretty much glue. It, it is better than stick up. Um, you know, so it's really hard to drop a pass, which is why I'm like, come on, Brandon, I, you don't use your body. Like, how how is it going through your hands? Like, what what's going on? I There's no excuse people should be missing passes Badly, <laughs> but it's, it's in Ayuk's defense. It's tough to catch those wounded ducks sometimes. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe there are better examples than the Ayuk one. But I'm just messing. Uh, so I, I think by that I actually put the David Tyree catch number one because back then they did not have the stick up that they do as they do now. It was still good, but. Um, like you said, Matt, the pivotal point in the game, you know, when the, the the Super Bowl was on the line, what was at stake with the Patriots on the verge of a 19-0 season? Would that, all of that, I think is so hard to match up. I think when you talk about the catch itself, I'd probably go OBJ. But when you bring in everything to to have the, I don't know what the right word is, but to, to have the the will to to be just, oh, let me just put it on my helmet. Just the instincts of doing that is kind of crazy. Um, so that's why I put David Tyree number one. Jefferson's still a, a fantastic, unbelievable catch. Um, there's some other catches I was watching. And I mean, DeAndre Hopkins made an insane jump ball the other last year. Um, you had Julio Jones has made some insane plays over his career that that barely get talked about. I think about T.O. in his catch or even Vernon I, I, Davis. The, yeah. yeah, the one I thought about was that Edelman one against the Falcons. Where and of course Edelman. And he, yeah, and he plucked that one like a centimeter off the ground. That was in there as well. So. Yeah, con- I, I I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying about the the Super Bowl. On I, you got to take into account with uh, that single play changed everything about NFL history. Like a perfect season, oh, yeah. nineteen <laughs> and zero. Yeah, that's it's big. Like I I I lean towards more of the catch itself. You lean towards more of the moment. I think uh, I'm surprised we're actually on a pretty similar page here. Uh, even though we haven't we haven't talked about this before (laughs) yeah yeah so many catches we can break down but we have a loaded show there was a lot of nfl stuff that happened this last weekend Uh, we'll we'll get into the 49ers chargers game it's on the front of our minds niners win 22 to 16 and um where do you want to take this to begin well i want to i want to start off with saying a win is a win and a win in an in the National Football League is very tough, especially against an elite quarterback. Um, obviously, the weapons weren't weren't there for San Diego, and you could tell by their offense they were very limited. Um, 
but a win's a win. So I want to start by saying, uh, as a Niners fan, I, I can't complain about it. Um, I can only uh, hope that there's improvement from here. What about you? I think that's a good assessment. Uh, we'll take it. You know, the, the at the end of the day, the Chargers were a five and three football team, and that means they're supposed to be a pretty good football team. And so, you know, regardless of of what uh, we think of them on a weekly basis, you know, they're supposed to be pretty solid, and we ended up beating a solid team, no matter how you do it. And so, uh, and when I dive into it a little bit deeper, you know, I, I look at our team box score and everything. We kind of dominated them. Um, so, you know, even though that the score didn't say what we wanted to say and we didn't convert the drives that we wanted to convert, uh, I think at the end of the day, we, we kind of have to be happy with it. I just, I left that game. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, I'm not really happy right now. I, you know, and I should be, and maybe that's spoiled or that, that whole should win mentality. But I was kind of like, oh, okay, got that out of our way. Um, you know, but I, I wasn't like thrilled with the performance. <laughs> yeah, it was more of a relief win versus a uh, a uh, emotional celebration win, like Green Bay or Dallas last year. You know. Yeah, yeah. Or and that that goes with it with the regular season, right? Like, I think for me, the bigger long term concerns are again the Niners came out flat in a big primetime game. I don't. I don't get it. If that first drive doesn't go perfectly, it seems like there is just a huge loss in momentum and things putter out. Like we've been talking about for the last between us, like the last two and a half years, you know, <laughs> it, it, it didn't go well either. I mean, we ended in a field goal, which it yeah. just, it's yeah. Um, I will give them some slack coming off the bye week You know, you're, you know, you haven't faced live competition in a bit. So there's something to be said about coming out flat there, but unfortunately it's right in line with like we've highlighted with, with rich or Shanahan just, it seems like it doesn't have the guys ready to play um, sometimes out of the gates. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it is what it is. Like they came out flat. They were able to pretty much dominate the ground game, but the red zone offense again, is a, is a cause for concern. Um, one thing that I jotted down was it really seems there's a couple things, and a lot of it revolves around Jimmy Shanahan relationship, trust, whatever you want to call it, uh, my, my marriage analogy in a few episodes ago. But um, it seems like Shanahan is extremely afraid to drop the deep ball or the deep outs yes. or these big plays. There's, I don't know if it's – like we'll never know chicken or the egg if it's Jimmy's lack of ability or Shanahan's lack of uh, gusto to be able to draw those up, but it's, it's missing something. And the fact that uh, Kittle barely touched the ball, Debo barely touched the ball, obviously CMC's limited carries to try to keep him in and both, I guess, Mitchell healthy. Um, it's, it's, it's weird. The lack of attempted big plays. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Or the third option is, is it just Shanahan's ego saying, no, we're going to win it the way I want to win it, and we're going to pound the ball down their throats? I have confidence in that. You know, Maybe it really is. I'm just not going to risk Jimmy's throwing down the field because I know I'm going to be able to win it this way. And 
you know, he's pretty much a 500 coach. We've, we've talked about that before. And, um, but when Jimmy's on the field, he's like a 67% win coach. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to be critical. Sometimes we want to be critical even when we win and we get really critical when we lose, but, um, that, he kind of did dominate the Chargers last night. Diving into the stats a little bit, uh, 22 to 12 first downs, 9 of 17 on third down versus 6 of 16. Uh, obviously, time of possession, damn near 37 minutes holding the ball. We worked that defense. We rode them. We jammed the D-line. I mean, we really, we really just beat those guys up, and guys were flying off the field left and right. We, we, we had 157 rush yards to 51. Um, and I told you this during the game, Matt, I think the chargers are just a little bit better version of the Rams. You know, they're, they're really banged up offensively, defensively. They don't have a running game and Herbert is kind of acting like a Stafford where shoot, we don't want to deal with the Niners pass rush. We just have to get rid of the ball because we have zero protection. And that's what Herbert was doing. Uh, you know, we only had one sack, um, and, and it's kind of like the same thing against the Rams against Stafford. And so, you know, I think it's just, uh, they have to find ways to deal with us. Bosa was, had his fingerprints all over this game. You see, you saw him on the highlights. Um, he was creating havoc. I, I but yeah, I look at every aspect on this box score and we, we pretty much just kind of kicked their asses. Um, so even yeah. I, I want to point to, Justin Herbert had like 145 yards passing in the first half and we held him to 187 for the game. You know, you can argue that Jimmy, even though he didn't throw a touchdown, he should have had at least one, but you can argue that Jimmy played a better game. Um, Jimmy 19 of 28 for 7.9 yards per pass. Whereas, uh, and 230 yards versus Herbert 21 to 37, only averaging 4.7 yards per pass. That's your boy. I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing is like, how is Jimmy, out attempting <laughs> average wise Herbert. Uh, and again, I think the Niners had Jimmy in his 25 to 30 pass attempts. That's when he's most effective. And it showed last night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the defensive scheme that the Niners were running kept everything underneath. There was no shots down the middle of the field for the charges available. It was, it was a defensive masterpiece by, uh, by D'Amico Ryan's and company. And, uh, it's, it's cool to watch when the Niners D gets flying around the field. The defensive line obviously played well, even with some guys banged up. Um, secondary held it together as good as you possibly could have, especially in the second half. And then uh, Jimmy, Mr. Uh, Mr. Just Enough. Like if, if he doesn't turn it over, it's going to be really hard for, really hard for these, these Niners to lose. So it's a good formula. I don't know how sustainable it is. One question I have for, for you, Stephen, on this matter is, like, with these superstars on offense, they got a top three, I would argue, running back, a top – a lot of people would argue the second-best tight end in football, but probably a top five tight end in football, sure. um, and a top 10 to 12 wide receiver in football. Does Jimmy have enough production to feed all these guys? Yeah, I don't know if it's a if it's so much about feeding. I there were a lot of formations last night that I think you and I were kind of confused about, and because I'm thinking the same thing, I'm watching that game and I'm like, 
why are we not giving it to Christian McCaffrey in the red zone? Why are we not throwing it to Kittle? Why are we not giving it to Debo um, one way or another, whether it's Debo as a runner or Debo as a receiver? And so I, I went to pondering all of these things. And so I, I think my my first take is, um, is it really Jimmy's fault? I think part of it is Shanahan wanted to run the ball. And he stuck to the game plan. And when you run the ball effectively, you stick George Kittle on Trent Williams' side, and and you just you run it. And so follow it up with Usechek, and yep. Oh my gosh! And Usechek doesn't get enough credit. I mean, when he went out against the Falcons, our running game was pretty bad. And you know, now that he's back, we're able to to just pound the ball, which is what we want to do. That's our identity. So I think that explains something about Kittle. Um, with Debo, the, the Debo one is interesting because I think that he may not be as good if he's just a receiver. I don't know if he's as effective as a football player if he's just a wideout. I think what we saw was we're trying to get McCaffrey, we're trying to get Elijah Mitchell the football, and so – when you have those two running backs, it's like, well, okay, well, there's already not enough carries for Debo. I mean, he had four last night for 27 yards, which was effective, but receiving wise to, to have only two catches. Um, and so a part of that could be, all right, they're using Kittle to block. Um, Debo's their main threat. Let's cover Debo. And now let's leave Ayuk open. And I think that might be what's happening. I, I don't think it's an, um, about Jimmy having enough production to feed these guys. Um, so that's the thing. I think there's going to be games where Debo pops. He's going to break one. And last night, for whatever reason, we can start talking about this, for whatever reason, Elijah Mitchell decided to be the main guy they wanted to give the ball to. <laughs> so, you know, I was so confused at why McCaffrey only had 14 carries. Why McCaffrey only had four catches. And meanwhile, Elijah Mitchell outtouches him 19 to 18 in his first true, true game back. So that was really confusing to me in the red zone. And we saw it. Elijah Mitchell was good. He was really good. And I said this last week or two weeks ago when they traded Jeff Wilson was this is a good sign about Elijah Mitchell because Elijah Mitchell is healthy. They feel confident. He's a good running back. He's insurance policy for McCaffrey. And so this was a very good sign, and they they showed it. I just didn't think he was going to have full reign of the backfield, um, especially in the red zone when he failed a couple of times. I know McCaffrey failed a couple of times as well, but I was super confused at why they, they didn't uh, get McCaffrey back in the red zone. I know they were like, oh, Elijah carried us. Let's get him his, his six points. But so – I think that's going to be the interesting piece was what does Shanahan do with integration of Elijah Mitchell back? Um, and I think Debo is going to have his games. Uh, so I don't have concern there. And like I said, with the stats last night, there was no reason for Shanahan to stretch the field when they were having so much success against a battered chargers defensive front. So that's my long winded winded answer, Matt. And, and I would like to welcome uh, Rich Hamilton back to the show here. Uh, Rich, it's uh, it's good to have you, gentlemen. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Good to step on in here last second. Uh, uh, talk about some football here. Definitely need some football therapy 
therapy going forward here as a Raider fan. But, and, um, yeah, it's good to have you, especially we'll get your great insight on the Raiders uh, coming up here. Um, but Matt, do, do you have any last comments on the Niners before we do that? You touched on it a little bit, Stephen. Like, it's—is it really all Jimmy's fault? And I would say, in terms of feeding these guys and getting getting the superstars the looks and the touches they need. And you said like the defense shifts to double teaming Debo and uh, Ayuk and uh, Juwan Jennings are available in the slot and over the middle. But you look at a team like the Dolphins with a Shanahan tree head coach, and they got two alpha receivers who everyone knows is getting the ball and they still get them the ball. So I think there's ways to get guys the ball without having to force feed them, but to keep them involved in the offense. It, the last thing I'll talk about is Debo on a lot of those motions where he's kind of the distraction guy. He's going half speed. Yeah, um, that's, that's so silly. And it makes no sense. And then you just take him out of the play. He's just over there, five yards behind the line of scrimmage, standing there. And that that was driving me absolutely nuts. And he's going to keep getting pissed off if he's getting seven targets and two of those are misthrown screens by Jimmy. No, I, I think that's fair. The one thing I'll say about the Miami situation is that Miami rushed it only 33 times yesterday compared to 41. And four of those were basically QB kneels. Um, so that's just something to look at. The the Miami has a little bit better quarterback than we do. And so two is going to throw it a little bit. Did that, did that hurt you saying that? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think I'd be saying that, um, but wow. that's where we're at. Um, so, okay. There's more to talk about with Tua, but uh, Rich, Raider Rich, um with the eight raider rich um. before before we go on to anything else i just kind of wanted to chime in i don't know if you guys brought this up but you know there's a lot of talk about the offense and trying to integrate mccaffrey integrate mitchell you know i would have loved to have seen the two of them on the field together i think shanahan's got to figure out how to get the best 11 guys on the field no matter what um and i think that includes a mitchell mccaffrey type of dual headed what do they call it the pony formation in green bay uh, where they get Dylan and Jones back there at the same time. But all this talk about the offense, and it's still that defense that's carrying the day for San Francisco, and it's, you know, near historical or whatnot. Um, just wanted to see what you guys thought or if you guys had any any points to bring up on that defense. There's, Rich, you actually you sparked a big thought in my head, and the Niners have – so Devo, CMC – Trent Williams, use check. Am I missing any other all pros? Uh, right, and Kittle. Right. They got they got five Kittle. all pros on offense out of eleven positions. They have an offensive quote unquote guru of a head coach. They have a serviceable quarterback, and nobody can argue that Jimmy is horrible. You can't argue that he is a Kenny Pickett right now. It's it's not possible. So you got a serviceable quarterback five all pro players an offensive quote unquote guru. Is he really that offensive guru or is he a run game extraordinary, <laughs> a glorified O-lines coach? I don't know that this all is coming to my head as we speak. Just, just because he, I don't know how, how much does he do differently from his father, Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak and those old Bronco teams uh, where they relied heavily on the run game. 
um, play action, passing bootlegs, getting out, moving the pocket. Um, how, I, I mean, I, I just, I don't know how much is different with the Kyle Shanahan offense. And we want to say that he's, you know, innovative and young and, you know, he, he's the wave of the future. And if you ask a lot of people, they will guarantee that Shanahan's going to win a Super Bowl at some point here. It's like, we're already anointing this guy, but really, what has he done? Hey, I know that's your your big one, uh, Rich, and I, I don't disagree with you there. Um, he has to. Uh, his window is closing uh, in terms of that. You know, I will combat you a little bit, Matt, because he was really good with Matt Ryan. He was really good with Kirk Cousins. And so I, I think it does help to have a, a little bit better quarterback. Now, with all of that being said, this is this is what they tied themselves to. Lynch and Shanahan believe very strongly in Jimmy, and that's why they traded that second pick, and, and they've tied their entire thing to them. So it's going to be almost a, a Brady-Belichick thing with, uh, okay, when Jimmy moves on, and, or when Shanahan moves on and what's their next match going to be like, Oh, we know what Jimmy's going to be, but is, does Shanahan get better, get worse? And I, I think he has some ground to stand on with stability and um, he has been really successful with an average NFL quarterback. Yeah. I mean, uh, it'll be cool next year with Tom Brady as the quarterback. Speaking of Tom, <laughs> um, I, I I do agree with you, Rich. The the Niners' defense has so much depth, and when the Chargers scored right out of the gates, I really wasn't worried because all I did was look at D'Amico Ryan's, and I looked at him, and I'm like, all right, you know what? He's confident. He feels pretty good. I didn't see any flinch in body language, nothing, and uh, D'Amico Ryan's. We'll be having a, a head coaching job next year. I'm confident in that. So you're right about that defense. It is unbelievable. For as much as the Shanahan, you know, we talk about him on offense, it's really those defenses that have been carrying him for his whole tenure in San Francisco, really. So, I mean, if he is really this offensive guru, guru I, I, I want to see it. Um, I will give him one, one thing to, to credit on, though, is that at least you can look at his teams and look at his offenses and know what the plan is, know what the identity is. You know you're going to be running the ball. You know you have a certain win percentage if you run over 30 times and 100% win percentage when you run over 40 times, you know, controlling the, you know, time of possession. Um, you've got a lot of that going. You've got uh, the makings of what you're trying to accomplish week to week. If we turn over to the Raiders, I can't tell you what that plan is with with mcdaniels in his first year and I, I waver back and forth on that whether he's even the right guy to do the you know major rehaul on this roster that i didn't think needed an overhaul but uh it's it's kind of trending that way the more and more we go down this road so let's go ahead and, and transition there um tough tough game for the raiders uh losing 25 to 20 against indianapolis at home uh, Jeff Saturday, first game as a head coach. We have a lot to talk about with that. Uh, but obviously the big story is the Raiders are two and seven and they are the second worst football team in the league. Um, whether that's talent wise or roster rise, don't know. But like you say, Rich, your, your record says what you are or you are what your record says you are. Yeah. So uh, Derek Carr, emotional press conference after the game um, and Devonte Adams, you know, alluded to a locker room talk. We heard about Mark Davis potentially going into the locker room. Adams says we had a conversation with the team. Uh, 
You know, they didn't ever, nobody blamed McDaniels. Um, nobody said that it was his fault or anything. They, they all sort of said, well, we need to execute, but I'm led to believe that there could be something leadership wise there. And, you know, we've, we've heard about roster overhaul, Rich. You, I think you were the one that might've even put that in the group text of uh, Ziggler's not afraid to completely revamp this roster after one year, kind of have a short leash, quote unquote. Um, so I'll get your thoughts on the game and uh, and McDaniel's leadership, because I personally think he's on the hot seat. He really should be. Um, if you would have asked me before the game yesterday, I would have seriously doubted that Mark Davis was going to fire him um, and, and turn to a new regime already this early. Um, the one exception, you know, I think he's saying is that if, McDaniels loses this locker room, then then you have no choice but to kind of go a different direction. And just looking at this team, um, I don't see much inspired ball from this Raider team this year. And and I don't know how much of that is attributed to, you know, the talent on the roster um, or the the coach or if players are tuning out the coach and and that's what's going on here. Um, I saw something pop up on my phone about 30 minutes ago, though, that Mark Davis has given his vote of confidence to Josh McDaniels, saying that he's done a fantastic job amid the uh, two and seven start. And I, I just, yeah, it was fantastic when we were up 17 points in three of these games, but all of them ended up being losses. And it's just, I don't see anything fantastic out of that. Um, you know, turning to the game yesterday. You lose to an interim head coach that has never coached college or pro before. Uh, you lose to a play, a 30-year-old play caller that just did this for the first time ever yesterday. And you lost to a 37-year-old backup quarterback that was benched last week, still came <laughs> in and gave you trouble. How, if, if, <sighs> McDaniels, um, you've been outcoached. You were outperformed by guys who had never done this before. That would have been my last straw if I was Mark Davis but it's sounding more and more like he's going to ride it out and no matter what he's going to give Ziggler and and McDaniels you know the full offseason and perhaps next regular season to you know build the team in whatever image that is but I'll you know revert back to what I said before I don't know what that identity is yet I just want to see a glimpse of what it is if you're going to tell me it's smash mouth football with Josh Jacobs well he's probably not on your roster next year if you're telling me that it's Derek Carr in a passing game, then at least give him the autonomy to make the right reads, you know, instead of going through the coach's reads, you know, let him have some freedom there. Um, but no, the whole situation's disheartening as a Raider fan. Um, it was just 10 short months ago, we were in the playoffs and I didn't think it needed a roster overhaul. Uh, but the more and more we're trending this season looks like, yeah, we, we've got to, you know, do something major and, if you're going to give the head coach and the general manager a fair shot, you've got to give them the off season to at least give an effort um, uh, to build the vision. Wow. Well said, Rich. I, uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said about the team. I would uh, on a deeper, broader scale, I want to look into the Raiders last, whatever, five really first round picks since the Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper trades. Like, they have hit on zero first round picks in the last five years. And when that happens, you can't be good. So there's a problem with closing games. And that would be who I would blame would be probably uh, the, the coaching situation. But when you look at how this roster is built, if you, if you trade all these superstars for 
picks, you have to hit on the picks. Um, so that's, that's what I see. I mean, you look at the Seahawks, they went from a middling franchise, looked like they were going to be tanking for the next few years. They hit on three, three of their draft picks this last year and they have a, they have a ball club. So yeah, the Raiders are, are in deep trouble. I, I do want to take a second to recognize Derek Carr's post-game speech. Um, on a deeper level, we, we as men always tend to put other men down for showing emotions, but I think it's really cool that True. Derek Carr cares that much about his football team and the fact that he's making whatever $30 million this year and um, still cares that deeply about winning and losing football games for that city as a team with a, with a, quarterback in a similar situation who gets a lot of hate I think uh you need to appreciate a guy who cares so um that would be my my advice to Ravers fans with their quarterback situation yeah, yeah. on that note I want to want to uh, warn Raider fans to be careful what you wish for and if you don't want Derek Carr anymore just remember what it was like you know uh in Oakland beforehand um you know, the quarterback since Rich Gannon, you know, get Kerry Collins, Andrew Walter, Marcus Tuiasa. So you've got some, you know, Aaron Brooks. There, there's some real good names in there. Never panned out. But um, Derek Carr, you know, he's been a Raider lifer to this point. Um, it's going to be really, really sad to see him go because that's kind of what it's trending toward is that it's either him or McDaniel that's going to be gone after this year. And, I think the owner's siding with the head coach and general manager here, and it, it's a shame to say. Um, yeah. Yeah, th there's some things I'll touch on with what you guys had said. Um, so to start, Raiders are 0-6 in one-score games this year. Uh, they were 7-2 and in one-score games last year. And uh, their point differential wasn't very good, you know, so you could, you could argue and say, well, the Raiders kind of got a little bit lucky last year and that there were due yeah. for some regression, but you, you say, well, they made some roster upgrades and you know, they, they could be still pretty effective. Uh, you, you hope that that roster grows, but that hasn't happened. Uh, one point that Andrew brought up was that they were able to weather the storm last year with all of the off the field distractions, even with John Gruden distractions, um, they were able to weather all of that. And I think that's a testament to Bisaccia and him coming in there and keeping this team afloat and, and really to John Gruden, because, you know, as, as Andrew said, Gruden was a big character guy and he always had the locker room. And unfortunately the things happened that, that forced him to resign, but um these are qualities that we don't really see in newer school coaches. Um, and, you know, we've talked about coaching on this podcast, Matt, about the just doesn't seem like these younger coaches really eh, there's, there's something missing there. And McDaniels is not young per se anymore, but um, you know what I mean? The Gruden was that, that nineties old school football mentality. I think leadership uh, is, is way back is way worse this year. Um, and the, the roster uh, has not performed. I, I think you're absolutely right, Rich, is a lot of Raider fans are uh, upset with Derek Carr. And, you know, he's what has the most comebacks since he's come into the league in 2014. I mean, you know, this is a good quarterback. This is not Jimmy Garoppolo where, you know, the right. Niners are going to move on from him. The Raiders don't want to move on from Derek Carr because he is good. And he's shown that he is, has, he's won a lot of games for him. And so, um, I love it if I'm a Raider fan and I see this 
because it's like, oh my gosh, we have a guy that does care. We have a guy that that loves the Raiders, and he's really that you know he's going to get the blame because he's the longest tenured dude. Um, you know, and I I want to comment on the coaching firing thing as well. Mark Davis, Al Davis have shown to have quick leashes in the past. You know, we we've seen it with Tom Cable when you know he says that we're not losers anymore when they go to the eight and eight, and Al's like, "Well, <laughs> what does that imply?" And so he's out of there. And then Hugh Jackson out of there. Uh, Dennis Allen, you know, actually had a longer leash than I thought he would have, but you know, he's out of there. And and so there there are short leashes with some of these guys, and that, and that includes. Mike Mayock, the general management. Um, so those are some of my comments on the Raiders there. Um, moving to the Colts side of things, you know, <laughs> I think Jeff Saturday was c- coming in there and this is a fresh, invigorated team. You know, clearly the team was struggling under Frank Reich. They had never led at halftime until Jeff Saturday comes in this this year. Um, so the Saturday yeah. takes the team in, you know, the, the, the hey, we got a guy that we can play for. Coaching experience or not, uh, you know, this is 2022 and, uh, we, you know, we've seen it all at this point in terms of Marshawn Lynch going back to the Raiders or Tom Brady coming out of retirement. We've seen it all. And so it's not improbable to think that, hey, somebody who's never had any NFL coaching experience comes in to go, um, you know, yeah, Saturday had a heck of a player resume, but um, the players seemed to gather around him. And I think he did the right thing in getting Matt Ryan back. He looked at the picture of the AFC, said, shoot, you know what? We actually kind of have a shot at this. The AFC East is going to beat each other up at some point. Um, the 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 Broncos aren't going are, are kind of in right. the tank. The Chargers are banged up. You know what? We actually have a chance at this. We can climb back into the race. And so he's like, all right, Matt Ryan's healthier now. Let's get him out there. And, um, you know, I, I think that's just uh, that's. It was a good job by the the Colts. I think you're you're right. Was it uh, one of you guys said it? Uh, bad bad straw for McDaniel's to lose to to that situation. But you also have to give credit to the Colts, who are now four and five somehow. And uh, all you need is a couple of games to get yourself in the wild card. I never understood why they took themselves out of the picture anyway and put Nellinger in there, um, taking Brian out. I mean that AFC South is nothing to write home about, and you have a good month, and you're right in the thick of that thing. Um, I did not understand why they were kind of mailing it in so early. So kudos to Saturday for for making the right decision there, coming on in and, and, and kind of reinstating Matt Ryan as the starter does give you your best chance to win. And with JT, uh, Jonathan Taylor and, you know, you, you hope to get that offensive line going and moving. And it looked like they were, you know, in the role yesterday, um, you know, Taylor was, biting off five, six yard carries. Like it was nothing. Um, I almost think they should have stuck with that more. Um, but no, you try and get some confidence back in your offensive line up front. And I don't think that's a bad team at all. I, I don't understand why they mailed it in so early this season, but good to see Saturday, get that thing back on the right track. Yeah. I, I want to say a little, I want to go on a, I guess a little tangent here, just really quick about the Jeff Saturday hiring all week. All I heard was how unfair of a hiring this is, how disrespectful it is to the current coaches in the locker room that one of them wasn't appointed the the interim head coach. Um, And to that, I say, why the heck would Ursay want to put one of those guys who 
was part of a staff that clearly had a bad culture and had lost the locker room. Why would he want to put one of those guys as the head coach when he's clearly trying to change the culture as an owner? So I, I didn't understand all of that talk. I mean, I can understand that they uh, it's kind of like a buddy buddy thing with Saturday and his former owner. Um, and obviously the lack of diversity that Jeff Saturday brings to the table is, is something that you, you have to look into and there's nothing to joke about, about that. But when you're looking to change a culture, you don't promote someone from within at, at least in my eyes. And I respect the heck out of Ursa for doing that. Kind of wondering, like it didn't really fulfill any Rooney rule um, requirements there for, for minor minority candidates, but I guess you only get that if it's an off season opening, right? Hmm. Yeah, good. That's a good okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that one. Good points, guys. Yeah, um, we've got to move the show along a little bit. But so Vikings Bills was a crazy game, and you know we, we don't need to touch too much on it, um, but there there were some headlines out of it. I, I think you know the just the back and forth of the game was kind of insane. And uh, Josh Allen, <laughs> I mean, the, you think that the Bills had won this game multiple times and uh, he, he ends up throwing a pick. I mean, he threw what two picks to Patrick Peterson in the day and Peterson's a beast. He's, he's really good. We, we can't understate that, but I think this is a little bit of a knock on Josh Allen as, as being anointed as the great one. I think uh, Mahomes still holds that title right now as best QB in the league by, by a long shot. Um, and I, I think Josh Allen, even though he beat him earlier this year, uh, still kind of has a little bit to prove. Uh, you know, he's I know he's a little bit banged up, but he can make reckless plays, reckless decisions, uh, whether that's holding on to the football or trying to make a play down the field. And um, so uh, just a kind of crazy game out of there. I, I'm not sure that the Bills are the best team in the AFC right now. I would agree with that. I mean, I think that, like I said earlier this year, for the rest of this year, I'm going to keep the Kansas City Chiefs above at the top of my AFC power rankings until proven otherwise. Like that guy Mahomes, that man, big one five over there, wiggling his his little shuffle feet around is the guy's unbelievable. He's a magician. He's the best player in football, in my opinion. And I, I want to show that guy the respect he deserves. Um, going back to Josh Allen, it's that man's got a little wild hair up his nose, doesn't he? He uh, when you need him the most, it seems like he's he turns into uh, an on-field Brett Favre a little bit. Like it's it's incredible what he's what he's doing recently. Like it's something that you kind of thought he had grown out of, but it goes to show with some of these tendencies you see with a young quarterback, it, it's really hard to break some of those some of those bad habits. I thought he played a fantastic game all up until that last pass where he you know, tried to thread the needle there and win the game against uh, Minnesota uh, through that interception. But uh, Josh Allen, one man wrecking crew, right? Um, even when you, you know, the defense ha has everything perfectly schemed, you have everybody covered, you know, he's still a threat with his legs and, and dangerous at that, you know, ducking the shoulder and delivering punishment. Um, not, not really something we've seen, you know, kind of Cam Newton, but with a better arm, I guess. Um, no, but, uh, Mahomes is in the chiefs. They've, they've got to be number one until proven otherwise. I know we were talking a lot on the season preview that, 
you know, we were going to see a Kansas City Chief drop off, but, uh, you know, it looks like they still got the stranglehold on this division, um, at AFC West. Um, I would throw Tua into the conversation for this year. Every game he's been healthy for the Dolphins, they've won, uh, that he's been able to start and finish, I should say. Um, every game he was out, they lost. Um, that doesn't scream MVP. I don't know what does. We'll get to, to Tua in a second here. Um, real quick, uh, Packers, Cowboys, you know, the <laughs> Packers were kind of playing for the lives there. They've got a lot of guys out for the year now, especially on that defense, which is not a good sign. But I'm happy to see that Dallas is who we thought they were. And uh, <laughs> McCarthy, McCarthy, classic choke job, um, <clears throat> blowing that game. It's it's good to see against his former team. I think Rodgers had a little extra first time all year the Packers have played with urgency. So this is good to see. Uh, Aaron Jones had a big game on the ground. I know you, Rich, you're happy about that. Finally, the he's getting it going for your fantasy team. Uh, so yeah, the Packers are staying alive here because it, for a moment it just looks like the Vikings are going to win the division. You know, it's it's like okay. You know, the, the Vikings haven't played anybody. They're barely winning these games. They're they're barely hanging on, but um they're winning, and you can't be a joke at eight and one, right? So that's uh that's a good football team. And the Packers are, you know, they if they're gonna make any shot at this, uh, that was exactly what they needed. So hats off to Rogers, JT's Packers. I got a I got a great Joe Random stat of the day or fact of the day today and it's pertaining to this game yes um i would like to to congratulate mike mccarthy uh yesterday marked the first time in his tenure with green bay or i guess his his history of coaching uh in the nfl that his coaching decisions helped the green bay packers win a football <laughs> game so I, I i would like to congratulate him on that <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Wow. Wow. Here I am, like Sorry. looking for some specific stat, but no, no, it's the first time he had a good decision. Sorry, Big <laughs> Mike. That's crazy. Um so yeah, I think uh AFC, I agree with you guys. I'm with the Chiefs as the top team in that uh, conference. NFC. Uh, I'm going to say the Eagles until proven otherwise. Um, and they beat the Vikings head to head. Um, I, I think I'm very excited now that the Niners are getting healthy. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting to play our, our kind of football. And so I, I think we challenge the Eagles here uh, or the Vikings, and depending on what camp you're in. Uh, I think we're, we're in the conversation. It's good to see Dallas lose. We know the Giants are going to fall off. Uh, well, at least, you know, they're a playoff team now, but. I think there's some some flaws there, and um, yeah, I uh, I think Tampa Bay is kind of sorrily going to win that division. It's uh, so I really think it's you know we're going to be okay. It's just we got to take care of Seattle. But I, I digress. <laughs> the the Eagles are what the Niners thought they were going to be with Trey Lance. Good point. Maybe yeah. second year yeah. Trey Lance. How about that? Maybe second year Trey Lance. I think that's what they're sure. aiming for. Yeah. I mean, he is in his second year, but yeah, I agree. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm going to follow up your Joe Random fact of the day with an actual uh, stat of the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
you guys realize we had a record that happened this on Sunday? We had a record. Do you guys know what it was? Um, um, need a little bit more context. Now, what are we talking about here, Stephen? Well, uh, I'll give you a hint. It was during the Broncos-Titans game. I saw, I saw somewhere that the over like the last three years, the Broncos have the number one scoring defense and the number 32 scoring offense over oh. the last three years. Well, wow. that, that would be I a good know. one. That, that would be a good one. But uh, I'm going to use this. You'll see where I'm going with this. Okay. Uh, the most punts in a game in NFL history. <laughs> they, they beat they beat the record by one uh broncos lose 10 to 17 against the titans titans are playing some pretty good football right now but 17 punts in the game nine for 411 from waitman on the broncos and eight for 432 stonehouse on the titans unbelievable i that was such an ugly game if anybody watched it it was just a just stagnation to the finest, um, but that's that was the record, and uh, I wanted to parlay that into talking about because we didn't get to have a little moment about this this last week. I want to pay tribute to Ray Guy who uh, passed away recently, and um, I want to throw Ray Guy into the conversation of greatest athletes all time. And Matt, I know you're you're like, oh, here we go. What, what's he gonna What's he gonna pull here? You know, a, a kicker into the greatest athletes of all time discussion. But uh, hear me out for a second. Ray Guy uh, was the he was a punter uh, and elected into the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's widely regarded as the greatest punter of all time. Um, he had a, a career average of uh, forty. 2.4 um but he was really known for his hang time uh he, he you look at people or you yeah you talk to ex-nfl players and they're like it's just those balls hung up in the air they even accused him of using like helium inflated footballs because they couldn't believe how high he was kicking these uh but you know we talked about this in the group text is he changed the game and he was the first punter Drafted in the first round, you know, leave it to Al Davis to to do something like that. But, you know, he really changed the game of football. And especially when the Raiders won that Super Bowl against Washington, um, I think he had seven punts, five of them inside the 20 or something crazy like that. And, um, you know, people really said that, you know, he really, really helped his team win games. It was the first that we've ever seen of this kind of punter. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. Now, back to the athlete conversation. Um, this guy was a four-sport athlete in high school. Um, he also played quarterback, safety, linebacker, tailback, in addition to kicking and punting. Um, he was uh, he led his high school team to a Class A state football championship in 67-68 when he averaged 49.7 yards per punt. Uh, playing basketball. He scored 39 points in a game the day after he won the state championship for his football game um, with no practice, of course. In baseball, Guy pitched a 15-inning scoreless game in high school in the state playoff in the 1969 semifinals. He also ran track. 
Um, he was a punter and a place kicker at University of Southern Miss. Uh, he had a record at the time, a 61-yard field goal during a snowstorm during a game in Utah. Okay, so <laughs> this is like Bo Jackson legendary stuff. In 1972, he once kicked a 93-yard punt in a game against the University of Mississippi. Uh, he led the nation in that year, 46.2 yards per punt, All-American honors. Uh, he was a 1972 MVP of the Chicago College All-Star Game. Uh, and, uh, by the way, he was also starting safety at Southern Miss during his senior season. He set a single season school record with eight interceptions and was named all American defensive back. Okay. Uh, he also played baseball at Southern Miss, by the way, and he struck out 266 guys in 200 innings. And also he pitched a no hitter. So I think <laughs> Ray guy here is, uh, I mean, it, it just it can go on 207 consecutive games in his NFL career, 619 consecutive punts before having one blocked, uh, <laughs> has the record, the current record of 111 career punts in postseason games. So, man, this is um, this is great. Uh, I want to so- say it was in the what the New Orleans dome that they have there i think where he kicked one and uh hit the ceiling basically and had to redo the redo the punt but you know hit the top of the uh hit the top of the structure there dome structure and we're talking about jerry's world where they have that huge scoreboard and everybody's hitting that but i guess this was even you know way up above uh, in the rafters and stuff like that in the new orleans super dome i'm guessing is what it was yeah i uh rest in peace to a legend uh I, I don't think I should argue with you on this one today, <laughs> but we can discuss greatest athletes ever at a later date. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, it's pretty impressive what he did. And uh, even in those days, his punting stats still hold up in today's world um, of the great punters and physical training that we have. So uh, it's, it's, it's truly amazing stuff. I don't think they tracked hang time back then. So we, we don't really even know, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Ray Guy, rest in peace. So, Oh, and I forgot. I actually attended a Ray Guy pro kicker camp when I was in high school. So he was famous for grooming young kickers, uh, which was pretty cool. Pretty cool to be a part of that. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, that, that's what I got on the, the NFL. Um, do you guys have anything else to add there? Uh, fantasy football wise, I'm glad Rich hopped on because I was going to give uh, him and Braden a shout out for how well they've managed this year. They've uh, put together a nice squad, uh, a lot of points scored for that team, a lot of points scored against you guys as well. I know that feeling. Um, so I wanted to uh, to shout you guys out because that team's coming together and looks looking like it's going to get hot at the right time. Want to bring up one more time in case uh. The guys in Joe Random's fantasy football don't know. Uh, we do have six teams going to the playoffs, top five in the standings, and then the sixth seed is going to be the most points scored overall from the remaining bunch. So I know I'm chasing you, Matt, and every point is crucial coming down coming down the stretch here. So yeah, yeah just I'm trying to you be get savvy into, with hoping, ads. Hoping you get into that five spot. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um, yeah, I, I think you dropping Tua kind of saved saved our season a little bit there. We were able to get away from from Russ Punt Wilson. Um, 
Yeah. It yeah, hurt, it hurt me bad too. Yeah. You're welcome. I'm just a charity case nowadays with my trades <laughs> and drops. I just give people, I just give people players. I think it's important in fantasy though, just in any fantasy sports. I mean, it doesn't just happen on draft night. You got to manage throughout the season. You got to be in the nitty gritty, you know, explore trades, be active, you know, reach out to people, you know, and just try and, you know, improve the roster any way you can. If you try and sit back, you know, um, people will pass you by. Yeah. On that note, I want to make, I I think Steven might've been going here with this, but I want to make a note to, all the fantasy owners out there in our league, in other leagues, wherever it may be, people that are trying to trade with you, it is possible for them to lose that trade and you to come out on top. Just because you didn't reach out to them first does not mean that you're going to lose the trade. Ask Martin Outlet. She has repeatedly uh, fleeced me on multiple trades. Um, just because... Uh, Rub it in your face on Embiid last night too. <laughs> yeah, that hurt. Like, I mean, it, it's okay, but it, it hurt a little bit. Um, but I just want everyone out there, whoever's listening, to take into account that just because you didn't start the trade discussion does not mean that you're going to lose the trade. Uh, I I totally agree with you. I forgot you guys. You brought it up there to about Tua dropping Tua. Um, and I kept saying I was going to mention Tua today. Um, so oh, yeah. Tua, by the way, has the highest QBR, QBR and quarterback rating this season. He has a QB rating of 118.4, which is insane. I mean, he has a chance to to have the highest of all time if he keeps this up. 18 touchdowns of three picks. Uh, he is... Also, this third most court, well, second most quarterback in the league right now. Um, so that's pretty crazy stuff. The turnaround that we've seen from Tua and what he's done for Mike McDaniel. I had one more question for you guys because I heard this on the radio and I was like, oh, this is a good podcast discussion. Who do you guys got for comeback player of the year now? I know we made our initial things at the beginning of the year, but do you think it, do you think Tua? Gets comeback player of the year or Geno Smith? I think what Geno's I think what Geno's done uh, in the last eight years. How long has he been in the league for for him to go through this journey that he has been on to being cut? I think it's by four different teams, being picked up by Seattle, being brought in to be a backup. Um, wins the job nobody believes in him everyone thinks that they're a tanking team and this man has a chance to lead lead the Seahawks to win the division I respect the heck out of that and there is no doubt in my mind that he's the comeback player of the year this guy I yeah I I can't can't respect Gino enough and I I'm glad you brought that up Stephen because I think he's probably moving into my favorite non-niner conversation and the man plays for the Seahawks. So there you have it. That's saying something. That's saying something for sure. Yeah. All the talk before the season was that Seattle wasn't going to do anything. Drew Locke was going to be the quarterback. It wasn't even Geno Smith. We had the, we didn't have this guy on our radar really. Um, yeah. He hasn't really played extensively, you know, for, for years and all of a sudden comes on back. And I think he's PFS highest graded quarterback for whatever that means. But um I think him and two are up there. It's one A and one B. 
uh, for that conversation. And we've got to see how this season plays out. Um, I still think that, you know, the award can go either way. Uh, I'm with you, Matt. I, I got to go Geno Smith, though, just because nobody had had him on their radar uh, before the season started. And looks like they're, you know, in good position to win that NFC West, which we all thought probably before the season that it was the second most competitive division in football. So, yeah, you guys are on there. Geno, 17 touchdowns, four picks, 108 quarterback rating. He is leading the league in completion percentage right now. Matt, you mentioned it a while back. He throws one of the prettiest balls in football, um, and that makes a real easy life for Tyler Lockett and Noah Fant and DK Metcalf and whoever else catching passes from him. So uh, I think Geno deserves it. I know that Barkley's going to get consideration. I know that Christian McCaffrey's going to get some consideration. Two is going to get a lot of consideration. Mm-hmm. But Gino's circumstances are unlike any of the other three. And uh, I therefore think he gets it. Um, so wanted to thank you guys for a, a good show, a quick show. Rich, thanks for, for hopping on. Matt, uh, appreciate yeah, thanks, the short notice as well. Um, Glad we were able to make this happen. The, uh, the midday ones are fun sometimes. Yeah, definitely needed to get on here and vent a little bit. Uh, thank you guys so much for providing this platform to be able to uh, get through my my, my Raider fandom. <laughs> well, it sounds good. Uh, thank you guys again for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next time.